This week on Trailblazers, we sat down with Alex Hartung. He's the vice president external for the Red River College Students Association, but he also founded the Cannabis Club at the college, and he works as an educator at a dispensary here in the city. He's also a licensed patient. We talked about the importance of keeping medical cannabis after legalization, why the recent medical supply shortages are such a big deal, and all the work opportunities coming out of the industry and how students can capitalize. Thanks so much to Alex for coming on the show, and this is Trailblazers. So my background with cannabis stretches probably over a decade um, from the first time I, I ever consumed cannabis. I was probably a little bit too young. I think I was 16 at the time. Yeah. And um, since then, it sort of grew. And as I got a little bit older, um, probably in my early 20s, I realized that there was some things that cannabis could help um, from a medical perspective. So I tried through many different doctors to gain access to cannabis for medical purposes. Um, finally successful in the mid-2000s to, to kind of, or sorry, mid, uh, I'd say probably 2010, I'd say I finally got my, my license to uh, at least to consume cannabis medically. And then so, sort of since then, it's sort of grown. And now I cultivate cannabis myself because I've realized that Cannabis is expensive, even if it's medical cannabis. And to utilize my prescription that was recommended to me is extremely expensive. Um, so it, it was sort of beneficial to learn to cultivate myself. So for the past six years, I've been doing that. Um, and I have a, a federal exempt license to cultivate 146 plants for my own personal garden. So vast cannabis experience for sure. Awesome. I know that it can be kind of difficult to get um, a license to grow because you have to apply for that outside of your getting your medical card. What was that process like for you? So that process, the biggest hurdle in that process would have been the time that it took to gain the license. Um, getting the, once I finally had a doctor or a nurse who was, nurse practitioner who was um, cannabis friendly, um, it was actually really easy. The next steps were pretty easy. Um, Health Canada isn't in the business of approving or denying. So as long as your um, criminal record and everything checks out that you do not have one, um, it's sort of like a self-declaration. And then the biggest hurdle for, I think, a lot of people when it gets into the cultivating of cannabis, they go to specific clinics here in the city who, from what I've heard from a lot of other cannabis patients, discourage patients from growing themselves. They want you to purchase from the legal producers and go through that um, system instead of producing your own medicine. So once I obtained my certificate to consume cannabis medically, um, which is 30 grams a day, I do not consume that much. Um, a lot of what I consume is CBD. Um, so that's why the prescription is so high. Um, so once I gained that prescription, um, it was just paperwork with Health Canada and filling out their paperwork. It's online. It's an online PDF. You can just pop all your information in. They make it pretty easy for that process. And then it's just a waiting game. You have to play with them. So anywhere from three to four months waiting to, to gain that approval. Um, one other hurdle for a lot of folks is depending on where you live. So um, some people rent an apartment or maybe they live in a condo, shared living um, arrangements. Um, it helped that um, my father owns his own house and was more than willing to have something like that go on at his house. So it, it did make that process easier. I know some people scramble to find a place to do this and they go and they rent a warehouse or a small storage building and they kind of do that and that process becomes pretty costly. Um, I guess I was just had 
the lucky advantage of being able to do it at home. For sure. Um, why do you think it's important that we keep medical cannabis um, in the face of legalization? That's a really good question. Um, one, there's huge tax benefits for people who um, consume medical cannabis. It becomes a medical expense like anything else. So at the end of the year, um, I can claim that on my taxes because it's a medical expense. Um, another added benefit of having the medical framework in place is that um, under the current uh, legislation that the provincial government has put forward, uh, you can't consume cannabis anywhere in public. So whether it be outside on a sidewalk, um, particularly difficult for people who live in an apartment or a condo. Um, so imagine having medicine and you can't use it other than inside of your closed house. It's very restrictive. It's not like that with any other form of medications. You can kind of take them when you need them or when they're prescribed to you. Um, so with medical cannabis, if you are exempt by Health Canada to consume, you can consume cannabis in public still. It's a little bit different. Um, you do need to be a certain distance away from public buildings, but it's only about, I think, about 20 feet away from, from a door of a public building, um, and you won't be subject to any sort of fines. I do know if it's not medical cannabis, you can be looking at anywhere from a $377 fine all the way up to a $700 fine, depending on where you consumed the cannabis. So that's another big benefit for, for people. And the last benefit that I think is huge when it comes to consuming medical cannabis or recreational cannabis is with the current framework of the recreational cannabis, nobody in a dispensary can tell you if anything is good for you. They can't tell you if um, you should be taking something higher in CBD. They can't tell you any of the medical benefits behind any of the terpenes or any of the, uh, uh, any of the other cannabinoids. And, and it's really unfortunate um, being seeing it firsthand. Um, it's very restrictive on, on what I can and cannot say to, to customers. Um, somebody coming in and saying, oh, I get terrible anxiety. Do you have anything for that? Well, I know I do but under the framework, I can't suggest it. So I have to lead people to, you know, indicas and, and CBD-heavy dominant varietals so they, could, they can find that for themselves. I can't just directly say, yeah, take this CBD oil. It'll really help with that. Yeah. Even though I know, chances are it will. Yeah. So it's still really important that the medical cannabis framework exists so people can still access the type of cannabis that is going to work for them. So doctors will... And nurse practitioners and naturopaths will develop a plan for you and what types of uh, varietals you should be using, right? Whether it's uh, sativa-leaning hybrids or maybe they prefer that you stick, stay away from uh, sativas altogether for the very cerebral effect that you, know, you can't experience from that. So um, it's really important that people still medicate cannabis with the doctor's recommendations and dose as the doctor's uh, deem necessary. And whenever somebody comes into the dispensary and asks about medical cannabis, I question right away if it's something that they need immediately based on supply. Maybe they can't order it online. Um, and I encourage them to continue using their medical cannabis as directed and only use the recreational cannabis, even though it's the same product, in a pinch if they need to. They should still rely on, you know, going through their LPs, whether it's CanTrust or Canopy or any of the other ones, um, and then gain those tax benefits as well. Um, in addition to that, most of the LPs will still cover some of the 
additional costs, so the excise tax that the government's put in place. Um, on October 17th, medical cannabis became more expensive as well. Uh, it wasn't just recreational cannabis. It's all sort of taxed the same way. And big uh, cannabis producers like Canopy Growth are willing to cover that excise tax the for their patients. compassionate pricing. Yeah, I've yeah. heard about that. So it's still, they're keeping it at $8.50 a gram. There are some LPs out there who go all the way down to four twenty dollars a gram for compassionate pricing. But it's still they're covering some of that cost. And in addition to that, they're also lobbying the government to remove taxes altogether on medication um, because it is medicine. So uh, medical cannabis shouldn't be taxed whatsoever, in my opinion, and in a lot of the uh, LP's opinions as well. So there are still benefits of staying within that medical framework. For sure. I agree. Um, So you mentioned you had a little bit of a hard time finding a healthcare provider that would give you that pass. Do you think that that will change? Um, Absolutely. I know that uh, there's many on online um, practitioners who you can Skype and talk to them at their clinics. So they make it more accessible. We can use our technology to do that. So I think even accessing that service for people, you know, in the comfort of their own home, when they're able to have the appointment um, and talk to a nurse practitioner or a naturopath or a medical doctor. And I think that that, those types of services, although there there may be a cost associated with that, I feel like those services will really aid in rural communities and people not being able to access cannabis. Um, With the Cannabis 101 um, course that is being taught at the college right now, um, led by Dr. Shelley Turner, um, she is a... Uh, cannabis pro doctor um, who actually got into medicine and that level of medicine because she wanted to help people with cannabis. So her clinics that she's going to be operating are for patients to access cannabis. And she's not, her clinics aren't the type of clinics that um, will hold you sort of hostage with a specific LP. You can choose sort of who you're going to go to. And you can also cultivate yourself, which I I said earlier is is super important because there's several clinics here in the city who strongly discourage their patients from from cultivating themselves. Really? Yeah, Mm -hmm. because they 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 tend to... um, have agreements with the LPs to, you know, put all of their patients forward. Um, I know that a lot of people are coming in and telling me that uh, they can only uh, access um, Marican products and they're really tired of all of the, the Marican cannabis and they're, they feel like they're, they're held hostages and when they actually go to their uh, medical practitioners, they won't allow them to go to any other LP. And so people don't even realize that LPs are actually obligated um, under the act that if you choose to leave the LP, they have to transfer your information to another one. So I think there's some misconception out there with a lot of folks feeling that they're once they've signed up with an LP, that they're trapped. And that's, that's definitely not the case. Um, it's your medicine, and you need to be able to access it from the provider who has something that's going to help you. For sure. Um, there's been a lot of stigma around cannabis before legalization. Do you think that doctors will be more willing to grant people medical cards now? I think so now. I think definitely with the stigma. Um, unfortunately, our provincial government um, doesn't believe in the normalization of cannabis. So with um, a lot of their uh, campaigns that they have, it's very clear that it's sort of reefer madness 2.0. And, you know, you see the skull and crossbones with the two joints telling you that it's not worth it. Yeah. Um, seems like a little bit more of like fear mongering than 
it's not very helpful. But I think through the cannabis industry, through you know progressive dispensaries, um, educating their their customers who come in, and we can from an inside from an industry perspective, I feel like we can be that sort of. Uh, helpful voice and push to to kind of lower the stigma around around cannabis as a medicine, and I think the more people in in prominent like public view that consume cannabis um, medically, like myself, um, prior to ten seventeen, I wasn't too forthcoming with saying that I consume cannabis medically. Um, I felt it's still something that is sort of my own private. Um, realm. It's my medication. Um, so whether I'm consuming a CBD oil or taking sativa capsules, um, it is something that to me was was my medicine. But then, you know, a couple of weeks prior to 1017, I felt so much more comfortable in even talking about my own usage and, and my history of usage and even the cultivation side of things, right? People, I think that was a, a big shocker for a lot of people once they found out that I cultivate 146 cannabis plants uh, for my own personal use. So it is it is something that I think through conversations like this, how we're, you know, we're having this podcast, um, the more I think people in the industry that work in other situations, like how I'm, you know, representing students here at the college, when people see that, well, hey, he's not just some stoner who's getting high, he's a very productive individual, you know, who's who's here daily taking classes and working with the student association, moonlighting at a dispensary to 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 work in work in the industry. Um, people quickly realize that it's it's not just the the, the 70s pot, you know, we're all getting stoned and, and we're, you know, we're the typical stoners. Yeah. It is, it is much more than that. I don't, I don't consume cannabis to get high. I consume cannabis to, to medicate and, and to alleviate some of the issues that I have. So for me, it's never about getting high. It's, it's yeah. about functioning within my day and being as productive as I can be. Yeah. So I know that you grow, but there's been a lot of controversy around the shortages for medical cannabis patients. Can you talk a little bit about why that's an important issue? Oh, absolutely. So when it comes to the shortage on cannabis nationwide, um, people need to realize that medically, all of these producers, whether it's like 56 different LPs or whatever the list is, number is now, um, these LPs have been producing cannabis for their patients. So there's patients who prior to 1017 maybe feared that shortages would happen and ordered more cannabis than they normally would have. We also experienced the Canada Post uh, rotating strike, which also encouraged people to purchase more cannabis than they normally would have um, in larger order sizes. Um, In addition to that, the big LPs like Aurora and Canopy Growth and CanTrust, um, they have GMP certification in their grow facilities, which stands for... um, the good practices in manufacturing that are, yeah, good manufacturing practices that they, they can export their products to European markets like Germany and other um, European markets and South American markets as well. So cannabis is, is a commodity like anything else. And so it will go to the highest bidder. And unfortunately, right now, Europe is paying top dollar for Canadian cannabis. In Germany, most of the cannabis that is produced for the medical patients come from Canada. So our cannabis oils, our CBD oils, those products are all being uh, funneled to markets that pay a little bit more for them. Um, so it is definitely a shortage. People don't realize that um, the LPs don't have as much as they initially anticipated with everything. Um, seeing you know, our shelves have... 
15, 20 different products for the first couple of weeks of legalization to now we only have a few pre-rolled options and a couple indicas at $16 a gram. It is, it is you can see that shortage happening. Um, customers are also coming in and asking for a high-grade cannabis, something that, you know, is craft-grown, um, smaller batch sizes. So I feel that with the current framework, there's a, there's a huge void that I think medical cannabis cultivators can can definitely capitalize on. Um, under the current framework for medical cannabis growers, we cannot sell our cannabis, which makes perfect sense. We grow it for our own medical use. Um, that being said, some of us operate rather large grow facilities. So whether they're 1,000 square feet, 2,000 square feet, or even larger, um, we are in a unique position to transfer our current licenses to something called a micro-production license, which will allow us under the Cannabis Act to produce cannabis in a 2,056 square uh, foot footprint, um, which will allow us then to apply for a micro-processing license for the same facility, and then that would allow us to package and process our cannabis on site, and then if we were selected and we can get a licensing agreement with the or supply agreement with the province, then our cannabis, being a craft grower, and there's many craft growers in Manitoba, um, our cannabis can be then retailed to, out to the public. And I think that people are coming in and they don't want that mass-produced cannabis. Like, was this grown in a million square foot greenhouse? Yeah, it was. Well, I, I don't want it. Do you have anything else that is hand-trimmed and, and craft-cured? We do. We do have those products as well, um, albeit a much higher price point and only available in larger quantities. But I will say that the, uh, the market is demanding organic cannabis. The market's demanding that craft, high-grade cannabis, and that is definitely the products that medical uh, cultivators produce. We produce our own medicine, so a lot of us are, um, I consider myself a trichome farmer. I don't, I don't, I'm not growing the buds, I'm not growing the plant matter. For me, everything that I do is to, to gain uh, essential oils and extracts, whether it be through uh, a tumbling process where I can gather my dry sift and then use that to make um, my own edibles or then turn into like a rosin. Um, for me, it's, I discard a lot of plant material. I'm not, I want the active ingredients in the cannabis plant. That's my medicine. So for me, um, my growing practices accentuate trichome growth and trichome development. So um, I know that that's specifically what I grow for and that's what a lot of people want in their cannabis. So I know uh, many other uh, personal medical growers who grow a high grade cannabis. And when it comes to the cannabis industry, uh, especially with growers, everybody grows the best. It doesn't matter who you are or who you ask, everyone's going to say they grow the best. So I do think that there's a huge window there for um, cultivators like myself to get into and transfer our licenses over um, to a more uh, of a micro-production. That being said, a lot of us would probably still keep our medical operations um, probably at arm's length to be able to still produce our own medicine. Um, but those skills directly transfer over into this brand new emerging market where you can't really learn in depth in a school on how to grow cannabis. So the people out there growing it right now are the ones that have been growing it for, you know, yeah. 20, 30 years in yeah. the industry. So um, I see great value in, in, in the potential for someone like myself to penetrate into this, into this market with a high-grade, locally grown craft cannabis. For sure. Um, you mentioned feeling more comfortable to be more th forthcoming about your, uh, your cannabis use and what, like, the role it plays in your life. How else did your life change after legalization? 
Well, I've done a lot of podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> um, I get sort of a request every day um, once somebody can have a conversation to me with me and listen to sort of my uh, experience with cannabis. And I'm definitely a talker, so that definitely adds to that. Yeah. And so my life has changed by, you know, 40 different LinkedIn views on my profile every day. Um, people asking cannabis questions. I had somebody taking the Cannabis 101 course who reached out to me and, and said that they're really interested in getting into the cannabis industry and they know that, you know, I've started this club and they heard me talk about my own um, cultivation experience and they want to see if we can sit down and maybe make something together and we can do that. So for me, the biggest thing, I think, being a small guy in, in, this, in this big world of cannabis is sharing those stories and talking to the people who have an interest like you do and matching those passions. Um, I don't think anything from moving forward an individual can do on their own in this industry. It's going to be um, collaborative working and partnerships that I think are going to make it in this in this industry. Um, being a small fish in a huge shark tank is is ridiculous when you're trying to enter into a market with you know, uh, capital expenditures in the $500,000 just to get started. I mean, it is something that not a lot of people have. People have the drive. People uh, grow the cannabis. Um, I can tell you that my grow facility didn't cost half a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's it's definitely, you know, I've looked into it in in, in, in outdoor growing, in, in greenhouse growing, in indoor cultivation, and, you know, working on many different business plans, um, working the numbers over and over again, you can kind of see, you know, that you really can't do it on your own. Yeah. So I think the more I talk about it, the more I can um, talk to people on the floor as they come into the shop and kind of hear what they're looking for. Um, I think it's definitely beneficial in the position that I'm in right now, um, but definitely every chance I get is to talk about it. I, I feel that that's the only way I'm going to make anything happen for myself and for others is to is to talk about cannabis as a business, talk about cannabis as an industry, um, talk about the potential of a you know a fifty billion dollar industry by 2025. I mean, it, it is it is going to be huge, and and I think people need to realize that. You know, whatever course you're taking at Red River College, there's something for you in the cannabis industry, whether it's, you know, Crecom, um, digital media and design. When we had that fellow at the, at the cannabis club meeting who's like, I'm making packaging, I'm doing labeling. There was a brilliant idea to say, why don't you make the labeling and packaging within the regulations, right. follow their framework and make something that, you know, will follow that and then look nice, right? Yeah. So. And then we move forward to trade students, so plumbers, electricians, carpenters, who's building yeah. these grow facilities. Those are the types of people that are being hired. Um, the horticultural program at Red River College, huge, right? If you can take care of nursery plants and, and, and sort of learn plant science and, and how plants grow and how to take care of them, well, who's going to need somebody like that? The cannabis industry, um, quality assurance and quality control, QAQC. You cannot sell cannabis or process cannabis without having one of them on staff. So that is huge for Red River College grads. Um, I know nurses that are definitely in the industry, um, nurse practitioners. Once you go, you know, the long way with being a nurse, you can prescribe medical cannabis. So I think that it really doesn't matter. Electrical engineering technology, um, you know, they're going to have complex uh, control systems to control uh, lighting and other things. They're going to have apps that control the lighting on their phone or the humidity in the room. HVAC, right? Everybody needs an 
an HVAC person when it comes to a cannabis grow, when you're talking about tons of, 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 of air conditioning, you know, cooling power, when we're talking like, you know, 10, 15, 20 tons of, of AC power, that's a lot of, of, of labor and, and money that's going to go into the HVAC industry. So, um, like I said, it, it doesn't really matter what you're taking. There's definitely something there for you. Yeah. Have you had a hard time convincing students that it's like a legitimate profession? Once we start talking about it and I can sort of outline, you know, their specific programs and say like, have you ever thought about this? Yeah. Like, um, BTM and, and, and BIT, um, what about seed to sale programming, right? The government needs to know and track the seed all the way to the sale of the cannabis to the end user. So they're going to be having, you know, CRM, customer relationship management software that needs to be tailored to the cannabis industry. Um, so whether it's sales data, whether it's marketing information for your, for your clients and you're building, um, you know, profiles in store, even that, right? So once they realize that yeah, there's something for me in the cannabis industry. I think the wheels start turning a little bit. It's a, it's a pretty easy conversation to have once you can tell them the benefits of their program in the cannabis industry. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit about the Cannabis Club. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah. So the whole idea behind the Cannabis Club was to basically show the college and the college community that there's students here interested in cannabis, um, whether it be medically, recreationally, or from a business perspective, mostly from a business perspective, um, I feel that there was it would be a really good opportunity to to show the students and the faculty um, that the cannabis club is here, and we want to make it work, and we want to uh, show you that we're here to take the industry serious. So I can tell you that um, after being invited to the cannabis conference by Kirk Johnson, the dean of business administration, um, I can say that. He was very enthusiastic once he found out about the Cannabis Club. Um, kind of asked if there was going to be free samples, but everybody <laughs> does. That's a yeah. very common question I get working in the industry. But the enthusiasm of wanting students to get into the industry, I think, was really, really important. Um, Red River College has a really unique opportunity to capitalize on our programs here. And with the PGI uh, facility being, you know, state-of-the-art in food prep and R&D and, 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 you know, recipe creation and formulation, um, what can they do with cannabis? Cannabis as an as a edible form coming 2019, whether it's oil extraction in an edible form in coconut, grape seeds, sunflower, um, or whether it be olive oil, cooking products, um, or edibles itself, Cannabis is a packaged goods industry. That's really what it is. So I think that the college can be in a really unique position with um, the fact that PGI, it, they can capitalize on that and they can do all sorts of uh, cannabis R&D and, and edible development and really, you know, the professional baking program, students can can learn to create cannabis confections. Because I know that that's a, one of the biggest things people come in and ask for on the, on the retail floor is, is edibles. When are edibles going to be available? It's a convenient way to, to, to take cannabis. It's discreet. Um, it's delicious, too. <laughs> um, but I'll say that, you know, it's, it, I see the direction of the college going, in, you know, I see the college going in that direction. Um, let's utilize PGI, let's build a lab on one of the floors and, and start processing cannabis. So once they start doing that, I think students will, will see a little bit more in, in the value of it. This college is also launching a bud tending course, which I'm not a big fan of the term of bud tender. A couple of reasons why it's not alcohol. 
it's separate from alcohol and we should not be mixing the two. So I prefer the term educator because um, I don't tend butts. I don't even see a butt in, 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 my, in my day at work other than if I'm looking at a display. Um, but what I do in my, in my nine-hour shifts is I educate the public on safe cannabis consumption, on the difference between THC and CBD, what's a sativa, what's an indica, what are hybrids, how do they, how do they affect me? I want to do this. Will this product be good for me to, to go and watch a movie and hang out with friends? Um, how do I rule a joint? What's a pipe? That's what I do all day long. I, I never once tend to bud, so I'd prefer if people in the college um, didn't use that term. Going forward from a business perspective, if I put down on my resume that I have experience as a bud tender and I want to, let's say, I get bored of the cannabis industry, there's nothing relatable to that. I can go work yeah. in a bar and sell people drinks. But if I put on my resume that I spent six years as an educator, then I can go work in any other retail business that has educators, whether it's Lululemon, for an extreme example, um, or another retail environment. Those places utilize educators to educate the customers on the product and, and the reason behind it. So I think that that's a much more suitable term for, for at least for what it is I do. I don't consider myself a sales person at all. Um, in fact, it's kind of cringy thinking about it that way because um, you know people are coming in and, and wanting cannabis and some of the um, dispensaries out there are a little pushy when it comes to, yeah. you know, we'll buy some pre-rolls with that. Why yeah. don't you get three different kinds of cannabis and sure $140 pipe? grams instead of one? Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. And to me, do they do that at the liquor mart? Do you go to the liquor mart and say, I'm going to get a 40 of, of Smirnoff? Oh, you should probably get a Texas Mickey, you yeah. know? They're on sale today. Or um, you can always have some for later. Uh, I, I just, it, to me, as a cannabis consumer prior to legalization if I ever went to my guy's place and you know he was really pushy with things I didn't want nor need and then was like oh and buy this $140 pipe probably wouldn't be dealing with them anymore okay. so um, as a consumer I can tell you uh, it's some of these environments are a little pushy when it comes to the cannabis I refrain from that when I'm on the floor as much as I'm allowed to I want people to come in and explore and take a look around, come to me when they have questions. But being that sort of vulture on the floor isn't really sitting too well with, with me. Um, it's a new thing. They're trying to talk about the brands and, and the different products. But at the same time, if somebody comes in and just wants a gram, they just want a gram. Yeah. So I feel like as if, if I sell them up to 3.5, Am I over-serving? Does that qualify as me over-serving? Are they going to go home and consume 3.5 grams and then have an experience that wasn't the desired one? I look at it that way. I want people to have the right experience when it comes to cannabis and not the wrong ones. Yeah. So what are some of the good things that you've seen from working? Oh, there's specific? many good things. Yeah. Um, some of the good things that I think really stick out for me is... Um, noticing the stigma changing, um, seeing people come in and who haven't used cannabis for the first time, who have who are asking the right questions. People are aware that cannabis is a lot stronger than it used to be. Um, so seeing somebody come in for the first time and saying, I want your lowest THC cannabis possible. To me, that is it's showing that the the consumer is 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 reading about cannabis, um, but then also being able to help people. Um, whether it, 
enjoy an event or um, hanging out with friends and watching movies. People are coming back in and, and thanking us for the recommendations or thanking us for the time that we took to teach them how to roll a joint or um, talking to them about how to use a pipe because people are coming in and they have no experience when it comes to even consuming the cannabis. And then another thing is seeing um, that intergenerational uh, push from, let's say, younger adults or older adults who have older parents and they're bringing their parents into the store. So it's like the kids are like 60, in their 60s and the parents are a little bit older, but yeah. we're, we're seeing them like, yeah, you should, you should really try cannabis. And, and the people that have waited so long yeah. just for it to be legal to consume it. That's another thing that I find just heartwarming is that, you know, they really wanted to. They heard all the good things that cannabis did, but they were so hesitant based on the laws. Um, that, that's another thing I really like to, to, to see is that that first experience, right, that, that, um, that new nug, right? Yeah. They're coming in. They've never, they don't even know what forms cannabis comes in. Or if you gave them a, a gram, they wouldn't even know what to do with it. Yeah. I like taking the time and, and, and teaching them something brand new about cannabis. And at the end of the day, it's that, you know, we're trying to do away with the black market. So I think for me that the, the most eye-opening thing is that people are coming in and buying the cannabis. So I think that that's, I knew it was going to happen. I knew they would buy it. It's there. But in in the way that they're buying it has been really surprising. Um, people are maxing out their 30-gram limit and they're buying many different things and yet they're coming in again and purchasing more products. So I think it's that, um, you know, the ability to choose what you're, what you're getting and, and it's not just some bag of whatever from whoever, um, but all the good that I think, you know, we share with people when they come in, right? We give, we sell somebody some pre-rolls. They're taking that pre-rolled goodness and, you know, they're, they're sharing it with somebody else, right? with a friend or something. So I think it's that, it's that experience. Um, and I think the last thing would be just the overwhelming sort of feelings people get after, after trying it for the first time and coming in and saying, you know, I really like that. I never thought it would be like that. You know, if you told me about cannabis years ago, I would have been like, oh, that's just for, for stoners. It's going to make you slow and you won't be able to function. Um, but people coming in and saying that that 0.07% THC and 15% CBD pre-roll, I had the most amazing sleep. It was full rested. I feel amazing. I was sociable and I did something for the first time that I haven't done in a long time. So I think that just that whole experience is, is being able to share something as good as cannabis with as many people as I get to share it with every day is one of the best reasons to be there. I never feel as if though it's work. Eight, nine hours goes by like you wouldn't believe. I always have to get told to go on break. It's, it's a place that I know I'm supposed to be there and I feel as if though we're providing a service to, to a lot of people who... Um, you know, maybe had trouble accessing cannabis before medically. There's even people coming in who are still hesitant on talking to their doctors about cannabis, but they want to try CBD okay. so they know and we're that avenue for them. Yeah. How do you go about advising somebody who's just trying cannabis for the first time? That's really good. So I always start off with asking people sort of, you know, what's your relationship with cannabis now? Um, 
that usually tells me a lot. Like they'll tell me I've experienced it for 30 years and I know everything about it. Or they'll be like, I haven't. And then, so the next thing I ask them is, okay, that's, that's very interesting. So if I sell you cannabis today and you go home, what are you going to do with it? And oftentimes the answer is, I don't know. And so I know right there that, okay, we need to step back a little bit further here. Um, probably looking for a pre-rolled product. Um, and then it's sort of, I don't, I only usually recommend one product when it comes to somebody who hasn't consumed before, and that's going to be my highest CBD and lowest THC. Yeah. doesn't matter if they, if they see something they like and they're like, oh, I want to try this. I will strongly recommend against it. 0.07% um, THC for me is probably nothing. I would probably just be like air. <laughs> but for a new cannabis user with the CBD ratio being so high and the, and the THC ratio being so low, we've had so many people who have come back and been like, that was a really fun experience. I was laughing. I was giggling. I had a really good time. We watched a movie and, you know, I didn't get the munchies. I wasn't tired. I didn't pass out. Yeah. Um, and so they're, they're, you know, trying the lowest because it can always go up from there the next time they come back. But if I give them something that's 24% THC, that makes my mind go to the moon yeah. um, after having, you know, decade of cannabis experience and a large THC tolerance where I can have, you know, 100 milligrams of pharmaceutical grade THC and still function. Yeah. Um, whereas somebody who hasn't consumed cannabis before, two and a half milligrams would be more than enough right. to definitely send them to the moon. So it's that giving them that right first experience. Because if I know that they haven't consumed before and I give them something or recommend something that it's a terrific product. A lot of people like it. They won't. And they're going to have the worst first experience ever, and they won't want to do it again. I can tell you a story about a, a, a customer who came in, and they were smoking uh, Bodie McBoatface. I'm not sure if you've seen that on our shelves. Yeah. But it's it's a 4% THC and an 11% CBD. Yeah. Um, so that's what they were consuming for the most part. They grabbed a couple eighths of that, and they liked it over for the most part. However wanted to step it up a little bit. And so they came into the store and they wanted uh, to try an oil. So we had two in, in, on our shelves. We had a sativa and an indica. And the sativa oil and indica oil are rated at 30 milligrams per milliliter, which is the highest recommended dose by Health Canada. And they consumed way too much, misunderstood the directions, were, was instructed that taking individual drops mm. and consumed a full eyedropper oh. full of the oil. And they had two eyedroppers full of oil. So they had about a oh nine-hour worst cannabis trip experience oh ever. Um, the walls were breathing. They had hallucinations. And this is completely understandable for somebody who has had nowhere near that level of THC in their body. Yeah. Um, that is completely understandable that somebody could have that type of experience who is consuming cannabis at 4% THC. Yeah. So this was probably a 20 times too strong dose for this individual. Um, but I'm happy to say that they are still on the cannabis bandwagon. They did not get turned off from it. Um, they realized that with everything, there's moderations, moderation, and sometimes you overdo it. So it didn't scare them away, which I really thought it was going to. But they came into the store a couple other times, and they're willing to try more products. So um, that was sort of an interesting 
sort of experience so yeah. far, I think. Yeah. Um, if you could teach people one thing about cannabis, what would it be? Be roll joints. Roll joints, yeah. yeah. Take that <laughs> take that power and put it into into your hands. Um, so many people come in and buy pre-rolls, and they're lovely products. Um, terrific. I even purchase them from time to time, especially when I have a long day and, or there's a podcast and yeah. I want to be ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I did walk over and, and uh, peruse what we had left in stock and um, purchased my first pre-roll. Yeah. And to me, I don't, I roll my own joints, but it was a cool experience to, you know, purchase a pre-roll and, and then consume it. But I will say that people come in and I don't think we should be selling a customer 60 pre-roll joints for $600. That to me was, let's take the time and spend 20 minutes with this individual, teach them to roll their own joints, use a joint roller or something, and then sell them CBD dominant cannabis to, to, to roll in that joint. I have people coming in all the time and, and then they're like, you know, I tried all these pre-rolls, I want something stronger. I'm like, so then when are you going to start rolling your own? You know, but yeah. what I'm finding is, is that people just don't want to anymore. They can, they have the skill to, but they're like, eh, why do I have to? It's re-rolled for me. I'll just buy it. So for a convenience factor, people are using the pre-rolls. But if there's one thing I can teach you when it comes to cannabis is to roll your own. It'll, it'll definitely make a huge difference. Um, it's, it's part of the process. Making your own you know, joint, there's some satisfaction behind that. You know, you rolled it yourself. Your, your hands created it, and then you get to consume it. So I think it's definitely a good skill to have. And considering there's a $2 surcharge on a pre-roll to have it rolled for you, or sometimes even a $3 surcharge, I think that that, to me, would be some money-saving uh, techniques. And then I know you said one, but I'm going to make two. The last thing I would teach that I teach every customer that comes into my store is the difference between THC and CBD and how that they how they affect you and how a high CBD and, and, a, and a, even a high THC with high CBD isn't going to be as potent as something with no CBD. So encouraging them to, to come in and look at the products and then determine based on THC level and CBD level if that product's going to be right for them, not on a internal rating scale in the dispensary on a one, two, or three. I feel like that is very subjective. I've noticed a lot of errors on the product cards where something at a 22% THC was rated as a one on our scale. So I know that that is, should not be. Um, probably not. Cause new customers come in and they go, they go for that one. They're like, I want to try a one. I don't want to go to a three. But it's not so cut and dry as that. I'd rather have the customer know the difference between THC and CBD and how the, how that percentage affects you. And I think that's going to be more beneficial information than if it's a one, two, or three. Awesome. That's all I had for questions. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. It was great. Thanks again to Alex for coming on the show. If you're interested in the RRC Cannabis Club and you've got any questions, shoot us a DM on social media and we can get you in contact with Alex. But also, get in our DMs and let us know what you thought about this episode. We're at Trailblazers Pod on all social media. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week.